Adam Myros. Hello, Steve. Myros, with your busted TV, so you're watching like fucking Hulu on your laptop all day, like a little 18 year old kid in a dorm room, aren't you? Uh, it does get you out of the house more. I'll tell you that. It's it's a lot harder to like fritter away time uh, watching shit on a tiny computer that's like teetered on a couch than it is to just kind of throw the TV on and veg out, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So are you saying you've just been going outside, just soaking up nature? Is that your new thing? I, I have a little bit, yeah. I, I was hitting the old river trail. Uh, it was just, wow. uh, it's just kind of like, I don't know, something about not having it in here. It's, I, I can attempt to watch YouTube and waste time, but it feels like every day has like doubled in length without <laughs> my house. So, so. so what, what we've learned is this podcast is killing Adam. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. We should scrap yeah. this whole format and this whole weight in his life so he can go out and he can become his best self. <laughs> just along the river trail. We'll just, uh, we'll just duct tape a little mic to your chest that you could, you could tell us about <laughs> the flora and fauna you see as you, as you hike along. The river's calling Adam. <laughs> Yeah, it's a nice change of pace. I don't think I put that you wear. Little walking I don't see stick. myself embracing this lifestyle. I must say. <laughs> I don't know, man. Pretty pretty soon you're gonna be just like canoeing down rivers, and uh, you're, you're gonna be like, uh, I don't know. It's gonna be like deliverance for you. I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, also joining us this week it's Jack Eason. Yeah, I haven't been fuck all time by rivers. Got no time for them. No, I, I don't even want to think about Can't it. Can't trust them. I, they wind around, you never know. Just, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I was on the lake, and uh, I, was, I was on the Milwaukee River this weekend, and it was, it was a fine time, but I wasn't doing any of the work. I wasn't in a fucking canoe. I was just in a boat that I wasn't driving. Uh, because oh, nobody's not that much work. It's more just... That's the, a little bit of work. <laughs> the tipping over part that doesn't appeal to me, you know. Yeah, kayaking, same thing. Kayak's even worse. You tip over one of those, you're gonna get stuck. I think That's I'm officially too fat for a fucking kayak. I gotta say, <laughs> I'm just not down so for any of this water activity. Special. <laughs> too fat for a kayak. The Adam Myro stand-up special. That's good, man. I like that. Man, you, you, you could be huge. That, like that title alone, probably get you on the Larry the Cable Guy tour. Like, you won't <laughs> yeah, with uh... the rest, you can just make up yourself. Just... Gabriel Iglesias, uh, Ralphie May, and Adam Myros. I don't even know. Is Ralphie May still kicking? I see a lot. He shouldn't be. Nothing should be kicking <laughs> inside of him. Hold this on. Like bring us Google. back to the. This brings us back to the fact that Steve, Steve, you learned about uh, Roy Chubby Brown this week. Big week I for Steve. I did learn about Roy Chubby Brown. <laughs> Huge week. <laughs> Huge week for me. Uh, somebody had brought up uh, UFO the movie. Uh, they're like, oh God, it's, it's horrible. It's the worst thing ever. I'm like, how have I not heard of this? And then I looked it up and I'm just like, stars comedian Roy Chubby Brown, who is abducted <laughs> by aliens and... And they don't like him because he hates women. <laughs> That's why they abducted him. <laughs> Since you discovered like, remember, him. Oh, I, I was just going to say, remember when we, we did the, uh, the episode where it was Andrew Dice Clay 
And we watched that one movie where it was just like his stand-up special where he's just like blasting cigs at America, uh, uh, Madison Square Garden. And then there's like a few little like vignettes in between. Is that UFO the movie? I, I don't know. That, that's what it sounds like. I mean, there's, there's an incredible parallel. I mean, because honestly, Andrew Dice Clay's stand-up in that show and Roy Shelby Brown's stand-up are... Shelby Brown probably has more jokes, honestly. But like, it's the exact same content. But Dice Clay's like, cool cool dude you'd want to be him yeah and then Roy yeah. Chubby Brown's this like goofball in a fucking leather aviator cap just prance around the place <laughs> talking about how much he hates his wife which is very quintessentially yeah. English uh, form well now yeah, I want to know and what then, the nature of these aliens in, in the film are that misogyny really comes into play is it like I a, never, is it like a I sexy Venusian uh, sort of uh, escapade <laughs> or something could be could be I mean, I'm kind of yeah, curious because I, 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 I haven't never really watched heard, a lot like, of his I work. saw a lot of him, like, his stuff coming up, like, was on, I'd catch it on TV here and there, like, he was, he was semi-famous, really, um, but I never knew he was in a movie, and also, Steve, you discovering him led me to just kind of check up on him, because he's, like, he very much, he fits in that, that kind of section, like, Bernard Manning and other, like, old-school British blue comedians, and I thought he, like, came up at the same time. But no, Roy, Roy Joey Brown, like, started, like, he started his career in earnest in, like, 1990, when you feel like, should have been about the era when this shit ended entirely, the, like, the blue, non-PC comedy, you know, like, with, with, a, with a man in an ostentatious costume playing a character, quote-unquote, uh, no, uh, he's he's like the last of a dying breed. I think I can't imagine there's anyone coming in behind him. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a lane for him now. You know, like uh, maybe we get an opposites attract tour with him and Hannah Gadsby and just just set him loose. Oh I my! Know. I mean, honestly, it could work. Like I, I'm gonna say, probably controversially, I would say uh, Roy Choi Brown is just a nuts and bolts comedy probably significantly better than many of the comedians with netflix specials nowadays it's just oh, yeah. you know i think i think he's still you know he's part of that lineage it's just that his comedy is mostly shit yeah i i think you know i i kind of like this idea that i've got percolating here with with hannah gatsby and roy chubby brown at the same time because roy chubby brown would be like i my my bitch wife burn the pudding and then Anna, Hannah Gatsby be like, oh, I'm, I'm Anna Gatsby, and oh, I, this, this art is bad. It'll be great. They just go back and forth like that, and he says something it, inflammatory, it like the whole, and then she says it's bad. The whole thing would be Hannah Gatsby saying, like, I'm a lesbian, and then Roy Chubby Brown going on about how he's also a lesbian, and just endless fun for everyone. Who yeah, really like that's that. directly a dice clay joke. I'm not. I'm not sure he came up with that one. I think mean, that one's been that's been circulating in the clubs I, for I many years. Dice clay yeah. came up be, with a single <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I tried to watch some Roy Chubby Brown. There's not a lot of him on YouTube either. Like he barely exists, which is weird because that's fucking wild. Yeah, all the all I, the UK people like I think Alistair was just like, how do you even know about this? Like I was just like churning up traumatic memories for for uk folks well, it's, and uh it's it, it, yeah I, I i don't i don't know like he's there's some of his stand-up on youtube and then i found like dvd covers of his stand-up specials like uh the classic too fat to be gay even though he's not that fat uh no but yeah just no, kind of wearing yeah, ill-fitting clothes that make him look fat yeah that's yeah it's no more, it's, uh, it's yeah. 
It's fun because on Wikipedia they say it's like, and, and he, you know, his his comedy's not on TV because it was deemed too offensive. And I'm like, no, the, if his comedy wasn't on TV, I wouldn't know who he is. Every, every <laughs> yeah. second, like, I don't own any Roy Chubby Brown video cassettes. <laughs> no, no one in my family was buying that no. shit. The only reason I know anything about this guy, and I'd seen quite a lot of his stuff, he was quite popular in the 90s, was specifically because it was on TV. So, mm-hmm. I don't know where the hell yeah. the Wikipedia... Wikipedia can lie to you, apparently. It is unreliable. Who knew? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if, if you were ever like... Um, I wish that Andrew Dice Clay was slightly overweight and dressed like a children's birthday clown who smells like cigarettes. Um, I don't know. Maybe Roy Chubby Brown's your guy. I, I didn't, I didn't find a lot of chuckles at his work, but I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at this movie. It appears the aliens are feminists. So yeah, oh. that's uh oh, a little chubby. green men scenario here. We've got some incredible some feminists who are out to prosecute Chubby for his rampant misogyny. That's right. He uh, should get a cameo in the next Wonder Woman. They're, they're powerful uh, goddesses. I feel like it's it's inevitable now that we watch this. We can pair it with like Space <laughs> Invaders <laughs> or something. <laughs> or I mean, this is time. exactly the kind of thing that we, we do to ourselves. So, you know, it wouldn't be the first time, I'm, probably won't be the last. Did, did, we, did we watch the Jerry Lewis uh, like Space Alien movie for for the podcast yeah, yeah, it was, was, uh, yeah we did it, it was what's his name uh, it's gone. simon what's his name simon paul stuart paul oh, yeah. not stuart, stuart, paul. stuart the other paul. One. it's the worst paul the worst Stephen one paul. Stephen, Steve, Stephen oh, paul that Stephen guy. paul yeah yeah simon paul is an actual yeah, one of the pauls just not one of the directors uh yeah i guess i guess we could we could create a whole unfunny space episode for everyone. That's, that's the future. That's I mean, I future. haven't seen Spaced Invaders since I was like six years old, but I'm going to guess it does not stand the test of time. I'm in the same the boat. I would actually, I would kind of be in, I'm getting that on VHS and being like, wow, this is like a real movie that I'm choosing. So, yeah, it'd be interesting <laughs> to, to revisit that and see what I, what I force my parents to sit through. Great, great. I like how we, we were coming up with like, oh yeah, here's some good stuff that we can watch for the next few episodes before we started this one. And it's like, nope, we're going to nuke it and we're going to watch Roy Chubby Brown's <laughs> UFO. That's it. No, uh, no more Katano, Roy Chubby Brown. That's that's the optimism <laughs> vaccine yeah. process. Well, welcome to Chubby's for Chubby, a Roy Chubby Brown enthusiast <laughs> podcast. I'm your host, Steve. Uh, yeah, anyways, no, we're, we're not talking about Chubby's today, at least in, in that sense uh we got we got another this is another patreon episode we got uh, a request to do some some czech comedies and this is cool because not only is it something where you're like oh yeah we get to watch good movies again but it's uh, I, i'm pretty sure none of us had seen any of these right no nope no. Uh, two of these were on my list and one i had actually never heard of before which ironically was i think my favorite of the three so this this has been very productive yeah yeah and uh, the first one is great because if, if you were to ask me, I'd be like, oh, it's probably like a, a Sergio Martino, like Jallo movie from 1972, but it's not. <laughs> uh, it's a movie called Who Wants to Kill Jesse? And I, I think it's like one of the only superhero movies I like, and it's from 1966. <laughs> <laughs> so go figure. It is, is it a superhero it, movie? I, I don't know. I mean, it like kind of has villain. a really good superhero, supervillain movie. Yeah. It's got a great origin story uh, where you've got, I don't know, 
Uh, two brilliant minds. Uh, one who has invented a method for like pulling dreams into the real world, and another who, uh, and and of course altering dreams, and then another who wants to invent uh, anti gravity gloves, uh, but also like any good nerd, simply cannot stop reading horny comic books about a uh, superpowered sexy lady. And so for ideas, Steve, you know, he does, he does not yeah. discount the scientific merit of the, uh, the science fiction spectacle. You know? Yeah. yeah. If, any, yeah, if no. anything, this entire film is about how great things can come from pop culture. It, it actually honestly feels like a defense of pop culture. <laughs> so there's a little yeah. bit of that going on too. Yeah. Oddly yeah. of any of the films that we're looking at here. And, and this is kind of the one that's probably most lost at this point. Uh, this is really the only one of the three that I think it could feasibly be like viewed at, through the prism of the Czech New Wave. Like this right. is this is a pretty politically charged film, honestly. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it kind of is, and involves people in spandex running around like chasing each other in the sewers. Yeah. But yes, yeah. uh, I would agree. It actually it is more so I think than certainly one of our later films we'll look at the the middle one. Uh, it's, it feels political because it's certainly like it's not a movie that people are going to be going to for fun necessarily. You couldn't sell it, you know, easily to people because it runs backwards. Mm. So, but this one is is a nice a nice kind of balance of things. It it's really fun and breezy, but it's I mean, there's at one point there's there's a man who who throwing a kitchen sink through a row uh, through through a door screams like freedom for dreams, and it's kind of like that seems politically charged in '60s Eastern Europe. I don't think you can say that without people thinking things right absolutely i'd say so also you know the conscious decision to make the uh, uh the enemies of our sexy uh, horny comic book lady uh a, both superman and a cowboy <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a little on the nose i think we know who they represent uh yeah so it, yeah you're saying they're they're against the jewish people and like latin americans right as, as yes, two that's, that's what exactly. I'm, I'm getting for that <laughs> a lot of common Great ground with the usa Jack. there they <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and but also right, the comedy would be chubby brown approved i'd say because really it all it all boils down to uh this guy's harpy wife is really giving him a rough time he's got to get with the new sexy <laughs> yeah uh, and and I, I love the fact, too, that, like, not only does he materialize these characters out of his horny comic books that he loves, but when they speak, they speak in actual, like, comic book dialogue bubbles, which, like, pop out of their mouth. And they're, they're not, they're, they're, like, presented in a way where they're clearly, like, 2D hunks of cardboard to the point where one of them is is on trial and being questioned and she she says something like look the speech bubbles come out of her mouth you see and then one pops up and they're like could you please rotate it a little bit for the camera to the side so we can see it from the front uh which is which is a really great touch but uh yeah this has uh, i'd say about 10,000 more times uh, creativity and ingenuity than any Marvel piece of sh uh, schlock that I've seen. And it's politically charged, and it is an absolute fucking joy to watch. So, uh, yeah, probably the best superhero movie. I can't think of anything better. I, w I would think in the, in the vein of superhero movies, it's, it is 
only only predates by a couple of years William Klein's Mr. Freedom, which I think is probably maybe its closest analog in terms of a quote-unquote superhero movie that is both politically charged and couldn't give a rat's ass about superheroes particularly. Um, that one's even more ridiculous than this, to be honest, and probably even more anti-American uh, in its, its details. This one's not really, like... As you say, the the villains are very America coded, but it's not like it's going on at length about you know anything else, the West or whatever. It's it's very no. light and breezy. Um, to, I suppose it, probably if we discuss it further, we should just you know a little bit of a recap of the story. It's essentially about a a couple. One is a the man is a, a physicist or a scientist or some description who's been apparently charged with trying to lift something very heavy that's apparently every day he goes to his job and they're like there's something really heavy we need upstairs and we don't know how to get it there and that's apparently his entire job is trying to figure out a way to get a heavy thing up there i mean while his wife has developed technology that allows her to view people's dreams and on viewing their dreams is then able to correct the dreams by injecting them with a secret serum and, uh, you know, to, to basically police dreams and give people... It's, it's fantastic because it's under the guise of, of, you know, it's beneficial to people. You don't want a nightmare. You don't want bad dreams. You want good dreams. And good dreams make better people and better life. And it's, it's very much sold as this, like, nourishment for, for you know... Better, you know, better people are better workers, etc., etc. But of course, it turns out that when you banish bad dreams, the bad dreams actually materialize in the real world, which is how when she catches her husband, who's been reading a comic book in the back of the Technical Digest about a sexy, like, Penelope pit stop lady who's inventing anti gravity gloves but being chased by Superman and a cowboy, which <laughs> I don't know why particularly that's happening. But he finds himself dreaming about her because obviously she's a sexy lady, but also because anti-gravity gloves would help him to lift the heavy thing. So, and he has an idea about maybe how he would do it, but his wife catches him dreaming about another woman, so she decides to correct his dreams, and wouldn't you know that means that a sexy lady, a cowboy, and Superman are now running around in the real world. And that's pretty much the, the nutshell of the movie, but I, I feel if we don't clear these bases, it could get very confusing to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, and... In <laughs> at least in my experience with Czech New Wave films, it's it's got the playfulness, but um, it it really is just like balls out madcap shit, like just all the chase sequences and everything, and it is it's very fun. And yes, it's as silly as it sounds. And no, there's there's really not anything more to this guy's job than your job is to figure out how to lift the heavy thing. Uh, which I don't know, man. That's actually. Sounds I mean, it's not. It's not even gig. that he's trying to lift a heavy thing. He's supposed to be fixing a crane bridge, which seems like I don't know. These gloves don't seem like the best solution. I would say no, no. But so they, they've got a not. big thing upstairs, and then it crashes down. They're like, well, the big thing needs to get back up there somehow, and he's he gets his you know incredible incredible thing. I think what's really funny about the the film, actually, in a sense, is because, yes, I mean, on one reading, it is about an, a kind of middle-aged scientist man who replaces his bitch wife with a much sexier model, uh, but that's, like, purely happenstance, and he, he doesn't even get into the cartoon for that. Like, he's genuinely enthralled to this concept of these anti-gravity gloves, and he feels like he can actually make them, he can make them real, and everything else seems incidental. The only thing that kicks it off is the fact that they all enter his dreams that night, and his wife gets jealous about them, even though he's very, I think, very specifically focused on the anti-gravity gloves more than anything else. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. wouldn't you know, as you know, if you meddle in your husband's dreams, next thing you know, you might end up getting replaced. 
Fair enough, but it's, it's all right. She found, don't listen. You know, she's down with old Superman there, so it's good to go. But uh works out well for everyone. But yeah, I think it's it's quite clearly, you know, as are most films from the 1960s, Czechoslovakia, uh, coded quite anti-Soviet Union <laughs> at a certain stage. Sure, we could point to Superman and the Cowboy, but but really this whole idea of the suppression of dreams and creativity and, you know, this kind of what would be lost in that, you know, this world-changing uh invention essentially would be would be completely lost if we were to not explore our freedoms and dreams then that is it's very much coded like you know basically artistic suppression under the soviets and uh yeah it's 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 a major theme in the czech new wave obviously but uh it's hard not to read that out of this particular work yeah, absolutely. Like, I think, I think the, and I don't know if the bad guys are America coded just to make the rest of it run more smoothly, because there's really, like I say, there's really no mention of American Moors at any other point throughout it. But there is absolutely in, there's, there's a legal drama in the middle of this film where they put the cartoons on, on trial. That's, that's how goofy this movie is. And, and the, our, our hero's wife literally comes out with the line, if you dreamed of your wife, you wouldn't be here, you know, as, as her justification and the crowd all applaud. And it's, I mean, it's very clearly, this is a concept of like, I mean, it's thought control. It's her thought policing. You know, it's like if, if you have good, correct thoughts, those prohibit bad outcomes and pop art and comic books produce bad thoughts. And this is very clearly, you know, America, you could accuse America of a lot of things. You couldn't accuse America of suppressing pop art and suppressing right. daydreaming. That's absolutely going to the other direction. And it's very clearly written by the film that that's, you know, the idea is that, yeah, I mean, you, you should be allowed leisurely time and maybe you'll invent something remarkable from it. But also, you know, this, what's, what harm is there and just, you know, goofy shenanigans and so on. I mean, and the film itself is kind of, for for all of its its you know political commentary is still mostly like a like I say but it's pretty much like an episode of Penelope Pitstop like it's people just running up and down stairs and jumping in and out of holes and stuff it's very silly and and light and I that's I think what I really like about the film is that there is this absolute you know there's this very interesting censorless like central core to it but the film is no imposition at all you could you could throw this on for anyone i think and they could probably have a pretty good time from it i mean if nothing else this is a film where they view a cow's dreams and it's it's wonderful dream is lying in a hammock with a string quartet <laughs> playing for like, this is batshit nonsense but you know that's you know it, it's it's great fun yeah which yeah. is probably why it's a little forgotten is because even though Honestly, it's it's quite a visual achievement. Uh, it's very beautiful at times, and a lot of visual trickery going on that is is quite inventive. And um, but you know, I think what has survived that period is is what has been christened as art. You know, and this is this is too silly to be art, right? Yeah, yeah it's an yeah. interesting one because um, Vakla Volchek or uh, I'm butchering all the names any any names here will be butchered apologies Bad but yeah check <laughs> yeah there we go that's close enough but uh his um yeah the only other film of his i know that's in the west is three wishes for cinderella which i have not got around to seeing but i know second run released in the uk and it, it's 
and that was actually pretty popular i believe in the west at the time in the early 70s that was like a you know i think it's a kind of a fantastical you know kind of nice colorful film i haven't seen it i'm i'm working off of hearing from other people it's supposed to be very good but um i know who wants to kill jesse was released on dvd in the us i think by facets which meant facets for anyone who doesn't know had a reputation they they released some really great stuff including a bunch of like bela tar stuff for a long time in the US like Satan's Tango and so on you could you could only get it on uh, on Facets DVD but Facets had a reputation for having like the worst quality DVDs in history because they were really small they're actually Chicago based and um, but they're they're really small had no money they took some big risks on things but like whenever something you actually liked got like a Facets release you always like god damn it now it's gonna just look like shit on disc but no one else can take a crack at it it was that kind of era but um so I mean this one was out there but it was never on my radar and I feel Facets were like I think a lot of people almost would like you'd avoid them because you didn't want to like anything of theirs because it could look like total <laughs> crap so kind of heartbreak built in there but yeah he does he's not well known in the west at all like some of the other you know like he's no like milos foreman or someone you know he's yeah there's not a lot of crossover here mm-hmm. and and a lot of that it, that canon too i feel like has been molded by whatever second run has put out in the last like five years Cer- uh, certainly which- yeah and the newer era second run have become very much the vision of um of eastern european cinema um, and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't help that I think a lot of the Eastern European film companies have been, how do they, they, they don't seem too keen to cooperate um, and they're doing really great work. Like a lot of this stuff is becoming, coming out in like beautiful new restorations and everything. Like they're doing all the work in the country to preserve a lot of this stuff. And then labels in the US and the UK come knocking. They're like, hey, we'd like to release these wonderful films. And they're like, okay, pay us like a million dollars. And it's like, no, they're not <laughs> that popular. Like we can't do that. So... Yeah, it's kind of a disconnect there. But um, I mean, if you scour the internet and look around, you can find. Um, I mean, I found a HD copy of this from a TV run sometime. I don't know if it's on disc anywhere else, but I don't yeah. think it is. Yeah. I mean, there's the Facets DVD is out there. It's I'm looking at it right now. It's fifty six dollars on Amazon. Cool. And I'm thinking it's like new old stock because the Facets DVD is from two thousand six. So, yeah, no, it's it's I, I probably going to be a legit release. Yeah, no, no, the fast one is almost certainly going to be a probably like a just direct scan of the most beat up thirty five mil print you've ever seen, or something worse than that. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think what I'll do is uh, I'll, I'll probably just I'm gonna put this one on Twitter for the homies. I'll just I think it'll be it it's and... the right thing to do. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. We're gonna <laughs> we've decided we're gonna do that. All right, so freedom yeah, look, for dreams, a, Steve. Freedom, freedom, freedom for, for dreams. motherfucking dreams. Uh, yeah, but I mean this this one's great. It's light, it's breezy, it's fun. It's actually got a core to it though. It's got some substance. It's it's just great. And now you're gonna you can watch it for free because I'm just gonna put it on Twitter as soon as this episode recording is done. Uh, <laughs> but hey, we we watched another movie that is uh, maybe not quite as light and breezy, but it's certainly a good fucking time. Uh, Myros, does this remind you of your favorite movie, Irreversible, at all? Uh, yeah, it's just just like that. I think I'd rather watch yeah, this, frankly. I, I don't know what you're talking you, about. You know, Adam Myros, uh, Jack, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Myros, he's always watching Irreversible, <laughs> and he says, you know, oh, I, know, I yeah. like what's, he says, I like what's going on here. I like it a lot, and he says, I identify with everything that happens in this movie, 
Uh, morally, he feels very connected to the movie Irreversible. Isn't that right, yep, Myros? Yep. I mean, I'm, you're not going to just, I'm not going to shit on Gaspar No Way. The man's doing some shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remember Adam in one of our earliest conversations talking about how he felt the tunnel sequence in Irreversible was cowardly short and should have gone on longer. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't know. Really, I haven't seen that movie in probably uh, 15 years at least, so maybe it's great. But uh, Oh, you weren't tempted out to the cinema to watch the chronologically reversed forward version of the movie oh, God in that was released for who knows why? Uh, no, I don't know no. why you'd want yeah. to do that. It's like the uh, Memento DVD. <laughs> well, if you solve this fucking puzzle in the DVD menu, you can watch it in reverse order. I'm like, I mean, that one no, made I'm sense, though, because that was like a DVD supplement. They didn't tour the country with it <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and i will say uh bring back physical media menu games because those really died out at probably around like 2005 uh 2006 so uh yeah bring them bring them back you got all these bare bones that. blu-rays right now <laughs> come on come on give me a little I mean, game yeah, it, that's a it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand i do miss like goofy shit in blu-ray menus but on the other hand i did in the dvd era hate when you would have to like change something like you know flick a sound option or something or just double check something on a dvd and it would take like three minutes to play through the crappy animations and every menu transition screen so maybe we yeah. could temper it you know yeah. keep the blu-ray quick menu change but put some more stuff in there you know hide it make yeah. it fun i mean you can't there go was, full I mean, memento that fucking dvd is a menace with the, the whole thing like looking like a medical file it had all these like bits and bobs that would just like fall out all over the place and, <laughs> and also i think you i don't think you could just pop it in and press play i think you had to go through some fucking rigmarole just to play the goddamn movie just to play the movie it's possible i do i do think that like that era like every like people of our age like everyone has memento and fight club on dvd and amelie depending like like everyone has those (laughs) probably the biggest selling dvds of all time surely because everyone had Mm -hmm. one Mm mm-hmm but anyhow, back yeah. to Happy yeah. End, the 1967 <laughs> film. <laughs> Jack always had Amelie in his back pocket, so if he had a girl over, he could, you know, show her something cool. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned <laughs> Amelie last Memento week. Memento and Fight the... Club for the boys. Amelie <laughs> had girls when I bring them over. No, I was I was a real smooth operator. That's why my my now wife when we were when we were hanging out a lot, I made her watch fucking Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> that worked. Ooh, wow. I mean, ultimately, it didn't stop things, which is important. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know what, it is pretty good indicator if you just want to, like, set things in motion early on. So, uh-huh. set, yeah. Set that I think his wife exactly just likes the accent. That's, <laughs> that's really the whole selling point. <laughs> I, I sometimes wonder. But, um, who knows? You know, now we have two dogs, so, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, well. we're intertwined forever. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think so. Uh, well, yeah, happy end. In case you didn't get it, um, it's a movie that runs uh, backwards, essentially. And it's got this great device that kind of ties it together where uh, they, they frame it as his death is uh, the main character's death. We, we start with uh, his head getting lopped off by a guillotine uh, or really just we start with him smiling as a severed head. Uh, but but his birth, but his birth is actually his death. And, and that's sort of how the story starts 
And they use this voiceover narration from him to kind of give a little bit of structure to a movie that is legitimately uh, running backwards. And it's a fairly basic story. It's about a guy who is obviously put to death because he kills his cheating wife and her uh, little beady-eyed lover man. And then it kind of traces beyond that to uh, the origins of, of his own marriage and uh, what kind of started trouble in his marriage <laughs> and, and beyond that. Uh, and it's, it's just a real fucking good time. Uh, yeah, sure, it's got a, a guy, uh, you know, dismembering his wife in a bathtub, but really, he's just kind of putting her back together with a with a hacksaw. It's fun. It's it's great. So really, it's and like Benjamin thing- Button uh, meets Memento, you know, that's, that's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now no one's going to want to watch it, even though it's a great movie. Uh, no, it, it is a really fun time. And, and I think the thing that I love the most about it is not only is the movie moving in reverse and we we do have the voiceover that's kind of helping tie things together but all the dialogue is still reverse order uh but it's wonderful and it makes a a good portion of the comedy too because the dialogue it almost functions like a it's like a palindrome so there's these jokes that are sort of built into what would have been normally mundane dialogue but because of the order of how they're saying things you get a laugh out of it and it's it's so fucking clever and it's i i yeah. just can't even like the process of even writing that screenplay with that in mind makes my head spin but it's yeah, a really ahead, yeah it's a it's a really impressive piece of work the way they made it because the the dialogue does like the dialogue runs the right way so you can understand it but like sentence order runs backwards but they mm-hmm often overdub that very cleverly over um, reverse motion footage. Some scenes, I'm pretty sure, are actually, they had everyone act in reverse so that they could deliver dialogue to the camera in the correct order, you know, but they're like moving, they're, they're, they're moving backwards. Other scenes, they're, they filmed it all forwards and then reversed it and then they have to overdub it. But it's, it's really seamlessly integrated. The whole film is, is this tremendously clever kind of like construction to it and careful construction to it which is something that i guess i i do associate with it it's it's this very meticulous kind of oddball thing to dedicate so much attention to detail to but they they follow through on it fully the film also by the way moving away from benjamin button comparisons for example this movie is 70 minutes long yeah. i don't know how long benjamin button is but i know it's not that fucking short so I'm pretty uh, sure it's about you know, three times that, <laughs> at least, yeah. you know. But yeah, it's it's oh, it, it's a weird film. I I must admit, I I've struggled to derive a particular you know kind of message from it. It just seems like it's kind of like a goofy joke just run yeah. to its conclusion. But it it's very it's quite entertaining and it's it's very well made. And I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because the whole film is like a series of de-escalations because everything runs backwards so it's literally like a man starts with a dismembered corpse in a bathtub and then he just puts her together which is insane but then that becomes the you know so it's like it starts with violence and then kind of like capitulates into non-violence into just a marriage and then you know so it's all running backwards with no uh could you say narrative dramaturgical tension specifically but then it kind of like inserts it elsewhere just as we start to wonder how did they get here or mm-hmm. what caused this or what's you know why do these people why are they like this um 
it's it's very entertaining and i think you know i think 70 minutes is a pretty good length for it honestly you know it kind of worked it's one of those things i kind of wish more people would make features around that length uh it's it's a great length to just try something you know and go a little yeah. bit in depth in it but uh, unfortunately not common these days yeah it's a movie yeah. i and thought was like at the start i'm like oh this is going to be doing something when, when we're started with the execution of going through this prison which he's describing is like a school essentially and then we get into mm -hmm. the court and i'm like well this is going to be this is going to be charged really like and then it's not that's not what they're doing they're not that interested in politics or making a statement in this case this is it, it's what makes it an odd film because it's certainly not a populist film despite the fact that it is at its heart most interested in being sort of a breezy comedy but I think most people who would watch it would be like, this is bullshit. Turn it off. I can't deal with this. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's the kind of movie that honestly, I would not be entire. I would not be at all surprised if a Czech historian was to tell me that like some politician in 1965 gave a famous speech and mentioned something about things running in reverse and everyone made fun of him. And this movie was just making fun of him for 70 minutes. It wouldn't surprise me if that's actually a thing, but just watching it mm -hmm. now without that level of knowledge, like it just, it seems like it's kind of a, a filmic idea just kind of run yeah. to its full conclusion. Yeah, you know, it almost just feels what like film do? school, you know, like it's, it's very right. much an experiment in form more than anything else. And it's, which goddamn, I'll take that. Right. Cause sure. Oh, shit. I, I feel like I've been watching so much schlock lately. Like, you know, things you just put on while you're working or doing whatever that you don't have to like actively engage your brain in, but you just need like something, uh, or, you know, I'll watch something before I go to bed or something like that. And, one thing that's really struck me is there are and every every week they add like 30 more to the mix here but there's all these documentaries that are on Hulu and and Netflix and whatever and it's it's so wild to me when you watch these because you realize that the people who have made them have no investment in film as a medium or form or thinking about like how that form kind of you know, embraces the narrative to create a, a movie. And, you know, that's why you can put it on in the background is because this is basically a podcast. It just happens to have pictures and shit. And it's like the least filmic schlock garbage content, whatever the fuck you want to call it, that can possibly exist. And then I get to watch something like this. And I go, oh, okay. Like th there was a time when people cared. Did you, Steve, did you did you not see that Hollywood Reporter art report article that came out the other day? Uh, from like it was another one like Insider Football at Netflix or whatever. But someone uh, is on like saying that basically Netflix scolded a showrunner because their show was too primary screen. It wasn't secondary screen enough. Uh, oh, with the understanding that primary screen is the person's cell phone. And if you're making something for Netflix, it should be secondary screen. It should not be visually demanding because they're going to be looking at their phone while it's on. Oh, God. This, this is what we're making now, which I think is really like whenever people talk about like AI, what's it capable of? And everyone's like, no, it'll never be able to replace actual, you know, human made media. And it's like, aha, it could never replace actual films. But Netflix documentaries? <laughs> I think AI could replace those. See, I, I think, think Netflix has, has literally fucking killed the documentary as an art form for me. Like, anytime <laughs> someone's like, hey, did you see that documentary? I just immediately tune them out because I assume it's a fucking Netflix documentary. And I'm like, 
it's it's like you could not recommend a documentary from the last five years to me and have me actually watch it because I would just assume it's this fucking same bullshit. Yeah, and it's always yep, the it's same great. fucking bullshit. Like the last one that I watched was called like the the Jewel Thief or or something like that, and it's actually an interesting story. Believe it or not, it's about a guy and he uh, he is like a complete fucking schlubby goober. And he just like robs the shit out of Radio Shack as a teenager. Uh, and then he slowly escalates to the point where he's like <clears throat> stealing a, a prized like diamond from a fucking museum in Prague or something ridiculous like that and ripping off banks for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And there's like no leads to what he's doing and all this shit. And it, it, like that is interesting. That's compelling. But the real thing where you get excited is early on, they reveal that. He was also like obsessively carrying around uh, like a VHS camcorder because this was the, the, you know, early 90s or whatever. And he was filming everything, like filming his friends, filming his life, filming him doing crimes and all this shit. And in my head, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like that's that's such a cool way to to sort of marry this this story with with form and, and, and do something really interesting. Uh, but gentlemen. Uh, just so you know, <laughs> but I guess it doesn't include it. Stuff. It's a total, it's a total novelty. It's just a little sprinkle and it's the same shit. It's like a person sitting on a chair that they bought at fucking Ikea. And then they talk about the, the, the guy. And then there's dramatic reenactments where they play like a classic rock song and it's in slow motion. And you're like, Oh my God, I want to, and let me guess it runs for dick in a fucking blender. <laughs> it runs for no less than six hours, am I right? <laughs> yes. It's three episodes. Each one uh, is like 90 minutes. Yeah, that's yeah, how it fucking yeah. works. It's horrible. And it, it just goes on forever. And then the inverse of that is, you know, you got your shit like uh, NBC Dateline or whatever, which, I mean, you know, let, not not cinematic achievement there, but it doesn't need to be. And, the, and now it's a, you could just get a podcast. And the podcast is, it's just the Dateline episode, but you don't have to watch it. You just listen to it. It's the same shit. It's it's just we're in content hell. And all of this is to say, uh, yeah, old rich Lipsky's happy end from 1967 is fucking beautiful because it really is. It's just like, hey, here's this idea. I'm clever enough to pull it off. And it, and it really is just an experiment with form that runs for a brisk 70 minutes. And it was it was fucking invigorating. I need I need more of this in my life. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, soul honestly, is dying. Yeah. I need this. Yeah, this is so many like. <laughs> smart ways that he uses this idea and that is narratively and that essentially even in this guy's sort of afterlife fantasy of his, his own existence he he still ends up killing both the same people he did in his actual life uh and spending the bulk of it in, in prison once again <laughs> uh yeah. and also it's just like the things he lingers on visually he really keys in on what works in this reverse format and eating is a major thing it just looks so goddamn bizarre in reverse <laughs> oh i i love when mm -hmm. uh the uh the the wife and the her like fucking lover or whatever are sitting down in the apartment and they're just like housing these fucking cookies and pastries but it just looks like they're like <laughs> just, vomiting complete yeah, just, cookies into their hands just make a plate of cookies <laughs> I really love the zoo it's too. So the fucking like hippo just like fucking spitting out loaves of bread. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. And, and and that's it. It's like there's this real like dumb dumb lizard brain visual comedy that's going on. 
uh, right down to the simple act of like people are smoking and the smoke is just sort of like going into the cigarette. It's just funny looking. But then there's the cleverness of all the dialogue and uh, and the voiceover. And it's just it's so great because you don't you don't have to live in a world where this highbrow and lowbrow shit can't coexist. It's, it's everything at once. And it's it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's a bit of a cosmic gumbo, Myros. <laughs> Ah, it is, it's kind of a fun reminder that it's like, you know, uh, like, like you say, the high and the low brow, like, like a lot of these movies, I know Eastern European cinema particularly does have a tendency, it has a bit of a reputation for being very heavy and political. And but again, mm-hmm. I think either of the two movies we've discussed, you kind of like with someone who's somewhat open minded about films, probably don't want to put on the movie that runs backwards with like your parents who just want a nice story or whatever. But you know, it's definitely these are not difficult films to access they're difficult to access because i don't know who's released them on home video but they they're pretty easy movies to watch they're both also very short thus far i think who wants to kill jesse is what like an hour 20 minutes maybe Mm -hmm. happy end is 70 minutes so you know like light breezy interesting seems like that would be a cool thing to do with movies but apparently the overhead is too much we can't handle it. Yeah, I wonder how much of that reputation of for that heaviness and intellectualism is, is just due to the fact of what we see as Americans, you know. I'm not living boots on the ground and in Slovenia I don't know how I many, think, like, you know, schlocky populist movies come out that never are exported at any point, you know. I think there's definitely that element to it. I think part of it is because uh, from an American perspective, from a Western European perspective, I think... All, always the Eastern European stuff has been filtered through a political prism yeah. and everything. So so everything that came out, like the easiest stuff to market was like, this is a powerful artistic statement about the Soviet Union and, you know, or about yeah. communism or this. And, you know, like in America, you can't show movies about communists being happy. That would like, that's a tricky thing to sell. So, you know, you yeah. had to show movies about people really, you know, kind of pushing against this and, you know, trying to embrace that and, and struggling. And to be fair, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not saying... Like a lot of a lot of it was absolutely, you know, pushing against authoritarianism and in its many different guises. But yeah, I, I mean, they made a lot of popular movies. They made a lot of absurdist movies. I think one of the funniest films I've ever seen is probably Milos Forman's The Fireman's Ball, which is absolutely riotous, stupid comedy, but is also absolutely making fun of communist bureaucracy. Daisies is insane, as we've discussed yeah. in another episode. You know, it's like. It's it's there, but yeah, I mean, and even even ones that are like obviously politically charged, some of them are still real body and goofy. It's kind of like the way that you know people talk about Ingmar Bergman, and he's very serious, and then you watch like his fifties movies, and they're just full of busty women, you know, doing like goofy nonsense. Like it, it's it's always there uh, to some degree or another, but people's kind of filter it down to this kind of like expert. Like it's all playing with playing chess on the beach with death and it's like no there there was a lot of other stuff that brought people to the cinema back then as well yeah yeah uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned milos Forman. i think as we move on i would say uh jack noted that uh, vladimir mensik is in all three of these films uh mm. a face is probably familiar to you if you're at all first in check new wave stuff he was uh he stars in milos Forman's uh, loves of a blonde uh as well as Smaller role in The Cremator and uh, All My Good Countrymen as well. He's just, he's kind of one of those 
check that guy's because he's, he's got a very distinctive <laughs> face. But this is really, I think, the only film I've seen him as uh, kind of the lead in. You know, he's, he's front and center in this one. Yeah, he's insanely prolific. Yeah, <clears throat> me, the, the star of the next film we discuss also insanely prolific. And, it, and it's worth noting, actually, um, the lead actress in Happy End, Yaroslava Obermayrova, uh, did the, I think Happy End is like her third movie, and she's still acting now. She's still just churning stuff out for like TV and stuff, just busy as anything. So kind of cool to see that, like from '67 to today, just absolutely just never stops working. Kind of like gives you gives you that that sense of hope about the whole thing. Like it's it, I think it's interesting, honestly. You know that there are still those ties. Like that straight, you can go right back. Like the lead actress in this movie is still. You hopefully people are chronicling, chronicling what she saw and what she did and all of that stuff, and that it's it's available for academic people to to write essays that I can read because I'm not good at you know going at first you know first sources because I don't speak Czech right. for one thing that would be that would be a bit of a limitation on my part yeah but uh, yeah kind of kind of cool well, it would be a fascinating thing to look at a breadth of a career like that because it's just particularly in in Czechoslovakia. Well, it's not that, it's not entirely unique, but it is unique in the sense that this is a film industry that changed drastically about six times in that yeah. period of time that her career spans, you know, so it's, it's kind of... There were an incredible number of directors through that era who got lifetime bans from filmmaking and then made another movie in two years because the government had just changed yeah. house. <laughs> That's how you do it, man. That's the way to do it. <laughs> uh, well... I, I guess we can we can move on to uh, the least goofy of the three, the most straightforward <laughs> of the three. I, I don't I don't know how to really frame this one, but uh, this one is called Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and I'll and Scald Myself with Tea, which is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, but I really, really love this one because just like with Happy End, sort of as a palate cleanser for the like the Hulu uh, slop that I've been slurping up. Uh, this is great because I just recently saw the new Indiana Jones movie, which is a colossal pile of shit. And I think this actually has like the same plot basically as the new Indiana Jones movie, uh, because Indiana Jones is all about Mads Mikkelsen just being a real Hitler guy and and wanting to go back in time so he can, uh, you know, help Hitler out or you know, kill Hitler and, and help the third Reich out and basically turn the tide of world war two. And, you know, I, I would say, oops, no spoilers, but I don't fucking care. I'm going to spoil the shit out of this garbage dump for you. Uh, yeah, guess what? He, in the, in the course of trying to get the dial of destiny, Mads Mikkelsen uses it, but he doesn't go back to Hitler time. He does a little whoopsie and he goes back to like, ancient greece or some shit oh damn i was hoping he got to meet the kaiser (laughs) no no it's it's, so it's great because he he miscalculates and um yeah and then they like get i don't know fucking like their airplane gets speared by hoplites and then fucking archimedes is there his little fucking bathrobe and he's like (laughs) oh you're almost you're almost getting me back on board to watch that i i i still haven't watched crystal skull I'm way yeah. behind on my, my Indiana, Indiana Jones stuff, but, uh... If, I, I mean, if you want to, like, just chill in the uncanny valley with CGI de-aged Harrison Ford for, like, three hours, and then all of a sudden you get, like, fucking, I don't know, Roman 
boats shooting spears at Mads Mikkelsen, who's a Nazi. Uh, maybe it's for you. I think I just oversold it. It's a real pile of shit. Don't fucking see I, it. Yeah, I, I do. I do feel like you know there's a problem where we're leaning really heavily on de-aging, even though I don't think it's very good. And I think maybe the solution would be um, new film stars would be cool. But apparently yeah. they also they cost too much. And I think at this point, the lack of new film stars is actually probably a demonstration of studio policy that they don't want to pay anyone. So they are not making movie stars and they're trying to coast without them, which I think the Barbie yeah. movie this weekend is probably, again, reminding them maybe movie stars were they're worth the risk or the cost or whatever. Um, but yeah who knows it's just strange you know there's no i mean every movie indiana jones like here's an 80 year old man at the front uh the last big rom-com that was in cinemas i'm pretty sure had george clooney and julia roberts who were in rom-coms when i was a child <laughs> so um yeah i think yeah. i think we we need something behind it but uh that's not what this movie yeah, is about this movie is about, i was good. gonna ask why yeah. steve uh went to see fucking indiana jones and the dial of destiny but that might be too much of a digression what's your what's it's your too, too val much. Uh, valid reason for going to see that film Steve? <laughs> i just some friends were like hey you want to go and i said hey, you know, there's nothing going on maybe it'll be all right i heard it was all right and then it was not all right but yeah and the weird thing about the de-aging stuff too is not only does it look kind of weird because there's this kind of like plasticky uh, you know, and it's gotten better in the last few years, but it's still weird. The problem is, is if you're de-aging a fucking 9,000 year old man, because I mean, Harrison Ford is like the oldest guy. Uh, he still talks like an old man. And he still moves like an old man. Like all you're doing is taking a fucking ancient <laughs> puppet, dusting it off, shoving its fucking ass full of straw and making it a dance out there and it's, giving it a fresh coat of paint. It's a master... fucking work. It's a masterpiece, but uh, I, I am, as you talk about it, reminded of Robert De Niro giving that guy a kicking in The Irishman. Yeah, sure wish uh, they would have yeah. done that scene in a different fashion. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because it, it's very, like, he's supposed to be like 25 maybe in that scene and it's very mm -hmm. clearly an elderly man throwing a couple of kicks at someone. But it's still, that uh, movie, But hey, anyways, you know. the reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, tomorrow I'll wake up and scald myself with tea. Uh, it, it's it's about time travel, and it's about kind of making fun of fucking Nazis, because Nazis fucking love science fiction. They're such fucking dweebs, like, you know, other than being, like, horribly evil people. Like, Hitler was a total fucking just dork, and he was just like, oh boy, I just want to do all this cool space alien rocket ship stuff. And so it kind of leans into mocking them for that. And uh, yeah, these guys go back and they try and uh, prevent uh, Hitler's downfall at the end of World War II. But they actually fuck up and it's like 1940 or 1941. And he's just like, I'm just getting rolling. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, they're supposed to show up when Hitler's on the or when when yeah, Hitler's Germany is on the ropes. And they're going to offer them a hydrogen bomb and, you know, basically turn the tide of the war. But instead, yeah, they show up in like 1941, just after Pearl Harbor, where Hitler is absolutely convinced he's going to, you know, he's going to take the whole thing. It's going to be everything's coming together. Finally, um, it's mm -hmm. yeah, this one is is great fun. I really enjoyed it. My only complaint about it is that, like, honestly, I don't think it's ever better than the really close to the opening 
where you have all the Nazis show up together in like this meeting room and they all do the little Heil Hitler greeting and then a parrot chimes in and does a Heil Hitler too and then it cuts <laughs> to the opening credits which are literally World War II footage set to disco music. It's, it's fucking, fucking insane cut. And that is just, oh. it's so damn funny. And the rest of the movie is really great fun. I very much enjoyed it, but nothing is better than that part no, right there yeah. unfortunately nothing is better than anything when uh, when it comes to that like i was just i was literally like <laughs> just slapping my hands together barking like a seal with joy like <laughs> it's so fucking funny yeah it's just and a very it's, different it's tone than the rest of the movie goes for right the rest of the movie's not oh, like yeah. that sort of madcap slapstick really at all <laughs> yeah yeah well and it's coming from uh, a director what what is the name of his, his <laughs> his big movie this, this is like his serious business second run uh sci-fi film it's called like xb-1 or something like that and i i haven't seen it i can't speak to well, it Icarus but from what XB i understand one. you know what i had i had yeah. made the connection i didn't realize it was the same director as it that's a great movie same dude. um yeah really i should probably watch it but that's serious business and and that's frequently cited as like it's the greatest science fiction film of all time and it's better than solaris and it's better than you know uh fucking anything and now and then this is like his piss take version of the movie i'm guessing <laughs> yeah i mean this this is really funny because yeah icarus xb1 is like um really really influential science fiction film and it has a lot of like nuts and bolts elements and a kind of speculative uh kind of science fiction details and things within it and it's a very downbeat kind of story as well um definitely highly recommend it uh, this one is really goofy because it just it has these grand ideas, but it's not concerned about details at all. I mean, literally in this movie, time travel is like a tourist thing, which is really funny to watch this right at the back of like two billionaires imploding themselves in, in the Atlantic Ocean trying to go see the, the Titanic. Mm -hmm. um, but it's in this in this world, we have, um, you know, it's like an airport, but people are wandering around in like tour guides are wandering around in like goofy period costumes because they're organizing tours of people to go visit like the time of the dinosaurs or the Roman centurions. You get in a rocket ship and through some science that they have no interest in detailing in this film, uh, you know, they can travel back to specific times, and it's just kind of like it's a holiday thing, you know? Uh, the movie has other things like, um, well, you do your washing up by just pouring this liquid in the sink, and it just vaporizes everything, dishes and all, which doesn't seem very uh, useful, but that's that's what they do. <laughs> and, like, it's full of all these, like, weird science fiction-y details but it's not concerned with coalescing them into like there's no kind of vision of a society in this film defined no, by this technology no. and it, it's it's almost like it's the anti-primer where instead of like having <laughs> everything like meticulously and mathematically perfect or whatever I mean, there's an entire sequence where not only do they go to like the the wrong year trying to help out hitler but then they come back and they're like, oh, fuck, it's the wrong day. And then <laughs> there's a part where like one of the characters walks through a room and he just like shoots a guy in the chest and kills him. And the other guy's like, well, why the fuck did you do that? And he's like, listen, I just I, I, I had to do this. It's fine. Things are better this way. Just don't worry about it. And there's like no <laughs> effort made. He's just like, I just this had to happen. You got to understand. Well, and even like, the yeah, resolution yeah, fine, is fine. really fucking wonky, too, because it's basically like the one twin basically convinces the soviet police that the that his twin brother is a conspirator with the nazis essentially like he's a fascist conspirator yeah, yeah. and 
And yet the resolution then is that he accidentally dissolves the body of his twin brother and then his future version like takes his place. But I'm like, the whole setup mm. to this was that you, you had convinced the Soviet police that this guy that you're now assuming the identity of was a fascist conspirator. That that probably could end in a very tragic way, but no, not in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. strange how everything snaps together in the yeah. end, but I mean... It's not the kind of film, like, as Steve said, it's not concerned about the nuts and bolts. It's very much like a caper movie. I mean, it starts off with, obviously, time-traveling Nazis. That's, like, first plot detail. Second plot detail is identical twins, wrong man mix-up. So, like, it's it's immediately going in these, like, very broad kind of, like directions um structurally and then the, you know and it's one of the one of the twins is the one who's planning to work with the nazis who pilots the time traveling rocket is like he's also like a lech a serial adulterer so every woman in the movie hates him uh, and then when his brother decides to take his place after his his brother chokes and i guess his other brother his brother decides to take his place that the meeker brother decides to become him in part just because his life seems more interesting than his um but he he, he kind of like realizes everyone hates him now because his brother is an asshole and everyone's out for blood and he's trying to navigate yeah. all of these things on top of time traveling Nazis. You know, his day was already pretty complicated by losing his brother and having a bunch of women tell him he's an asshole. And now he's got to like sort out World War Two again as well. <laughs> you know, uh, what wild film and, and really just kind of like kind of ideal entry kind of like like easy entertainment it's not demanding at all it's not like a difficult film it's an hour and 33 minutes long color breezy fun entertainment that just happens to be about like time traveling nazis um mm -hmm. you know yeah, you could yeah. do a lot worse than this yeah uh, my favorite characters though are uh, the uh the american tourist couple <laughs> because again they're from chicago like, it's like a too. commercial airline yeah they're they're from chicago and so they're literally like in Hitler's bunker and he's like talking to Himmler. And then you have these other Nazis here who have brought like, they're like, we have a hydrogen bomb for you and we're going to help you and, and you're going to win this war and blah, blah, blah. And then she walks in and she's like, oh my God, it's Hitler. And she just like gets a picture <laughs> I think, with him. <laughs> yeah, I think that part's maybe the closest it comes to political commentary in terms of, you know, if you were, and not necessarily, a, you know, American commentary, more a commentary. I think that like, if you turn time travel into a tourist consumption, uh, you're, you know, people are completely untethered from history from it, even though they're going into it. Like, it's like you're on vacation and you wander into Hitler's bunker you're on vacation, mm. you know, and it's it's like this, you know, goofy kind of idea. Uh, not something that's followed up in the rest of the film. Very much the, the American tourists are just sort of like, dude, they're not meant to be there. They A, a, a tribute to the, the, the time-traveling Nazis and their amazing organizational skills. They thought they booked the entire shuttle, but there's two seats were free. So they end up with some people coming with them as they hijack it and head back to try and rescue their you know, rescue their, their Fuhrer from his, his embarrassing defeat. Uh, and also, if you're curious about how they handle things like, um, uh, you know, time travel and... Because the, the Nazis who are time traveling are um, visiting themselves. They're all World War II veterans. Um, and you wonder, well, there must be a lot of special effects and aging and de-aging of some description. Makeup, obviously, in 77, they couldn't have done it with computers. They must have done a whole lot of that. No, they didn't. They just said that they take anti-aging pills. So they're all the same <laughs> age, pretty much. As they yeah. were in World War II. Very clean, very easy. Uh, saved a lot of time. Yeah. Very great. much. It's great. Yeah, they're just 
popping pills the whole time and then joking about it. Like, I just got married for the fourth time and my wife thinks I'm 62. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I did find this fascinating as as someone who has no real experience with like post normalization check film. You know, I like I what little I've seen after the Prague Spring stuff is later, you know, toward the very tail end of the USSR mm -hmm. and, and post USSR, which is really a lot of the quote unquote important films of, of those time periods are reflecting on the period of normalization. But I, I, there's not a ton of Czech film from the normalization period that is exported. Uh, well, because a, a lot of it is created and yeah, under, under a, a heavy censorship essentially but it is i suppose most notable in this film is is the depiction of nazis which having watched up uh, quite a bit of the 60s stuff you, you get so used to <laughs> anytime a, a czech filmmaker is talking about the nazis they're actually talking about <laughs> the occupying soviets uh but yeah this film has no interest in any of that obviously the political climate <laughs> in 1977 would not allow for that sort of commentary to pass through censorship uh, at this stage but yeah here the nazis are just uh circus clowns essentially pretty much pretty yeah much. i mean i think it is pretty funny that you know the, the whole nazi plot is largely undone by the nazis yeah. themselves who do not accept these interlopers <laughs> and you know set about killing torturing and murdering them because obviously mm -hmm. what the hell are they talking about and they throw the hydrogen bomb in a lake to get rid of it. it's like you know we brought you a bomb they're like it's a bomb and they throw it in a lake and the whole plan immediately just falls apart because <laughs> what are you and I, I guess you think well i mean if they were showing just as you know germany was like on the brink of of defeat maybe they would have been you know any any chance anything you know they could make him work but uh it's kind of a long shot anyway you, you circulated i think at that point but um yeah, it's it's a it's a kind of fun movie, and I think it is interesting. Obviously, censorship of the the region was was pretty heavy handed and difficult to get around. So, in the one sense, it's like that's unfortunate. Um, but you know, this this movie clearly evaded it. But I'm not I'm not really picking up any kind of major subversive elements to it. But you know what? It's kind of nice that like it still functions as a pretty nice comedy. I'm not you know essentially censorship is bad but some movies that pass through censorship i guess can still be pretty fun so yeah. hey taking positives <laughs> That's lesson sure sure oftentimes yep. even more fun because uh, again this is it's just kind of disinterested <laughs> in being political and sometimes apolitical is is just right for for a piece of entertainment yeah yeah for sure uh well i think we gotta wrap things up but uh Thank you again to our wonderful patron. And, and who, who was the one who recommended this, Spiros? Oh, God. You think I got that pulled up recommended it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just thought you might have known off the top of your head. Whoever it was, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Um, it, uh, this, is, this is good. I like when people pay us to watch things that are actually nice. Wonderful. It's a good feeling. Yeah, we'll fix that uh, ourselves later on. I think we've got yeah, a whole don't. month of shit planned now going forward. <laughs> yeah. I believe, I believe <laughs> that was, yeah, uh, was Sam. Who also uh, was responsible for the Hells of Poppin' episode, which, yeah, it was part of the same Another request, but uh, considering we we kind of attached a tumor to that one, we figured we'd make good on the Czech comedies as well. <laughs> that was all Myros who put a date movie on yeah, there. We were served up a, a big old bowl of ice cream, but instead of hot fudge, Adam Myros took a shit on it. Yeah, so, well, yeah, had great. to be done. Had to be done. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Miles, what are you going to put over this week? I still have no fucking TV. I, I haven't watched or played anything in quite some time. You know what I watched? Uh, the, putting over nature. I watched the He's latter put seasons, over the river. The latter seasons of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, because that's an acceptable thing to sit down and watch on a laptop. Uh, I don't know how much yeah. I'd put it over. It's, it's certainly not as good as it used to be, but uh, I'll say let's just appreciate uh, Danny DeVito while we still got him, because no matter how tired the show might seem his his presence is always a uh, fucking joy so there you go that's that's as mm-hmm, close as mm-hmm. i can get i think <laughs> absolutely uh jack what are you putting over this week well, that's that's a good question i i was thinking you know i could put over a british comedy show the league of gentlemen which ties back into roy chubby brown because the entire show is set in a town called royston vasey which is actually roy chubby brown's actual birth name and he plays the mayor of the town. I think he's one of the only actors who isn't one of the, like, central three comedy guys. You know, they play every character, because that's something you do in Britain a lot. But honestly, I think it's a, it's a very entertaining show, although some elements of it have it aged quite badly, or I think through, you know, more people from different walks of life just having more access to the internet to tell people about their feelings, there's been more of a realization that some of that stuff really was terrible when it started, you know, blackface, things like that. Although the blackface in the show is so insane that I'm not sure it even counts culturally as that, but it's it was enough for them, I think, to not rebroadcast some episodes of it later on. But um, yeah, League of Gentlemen, it is actually pretty funny overall. It's a really deranged sketch show, and it's got Roy Chubby Brown in it a bit. So, you know, you could do that. Or if you don't want to do that and you want to stay away from um, that brand of political infamy and so on, um, I did also rewatch O.C. and Stiggs last night, the Robert Altman film, which has just got a lovely new Blu-ray release from Radiance in the UK, and um, it's it's a great movie. It's really fun. It's uh, often billed as Robert Altman's worst movie. Uh, it was shelved for like four years, <laughs> um, mm. and uh, it's it's honestly it's really great fun. It's it's a uh, kind of like a what eighties teen comedy made by a man who had open disdain for eighties teen comedies, and he decided to make a movie about how they suck. And that's pretty much what the movie is. It's a real mean spirited film about terrible teenagers doing terrible things. Uh, and I really enjoy it. And if nothing else, even if you don't enjoy the jokes or the, the mad capness of it, the production design, the sets, the costuming is all outrageous. It's just so rich in detail. And, so, you know, as we were talking about earlier in this podcast, complaining about, you know, like, oh, primary screen, secondary screen, everything looks like crap now. Like, you, OC and Stiggs, there's so much, everywhere your eye travels in every frame, there's something fucking nonsensical stuck in there. So, yeah, OC and Stiggs. Check that one out, too. It was, uh, I can't believe it was shelved for that long, and, and nobody, nobody made him cut out the last five minutes, the Dr. T and the women? That seems like an <laughs> oversight. <laughs> Different eras. Is there, like, is there, like, anything that could make someone just scream at their television more than the last five minutes of Dr. T and the women? <laughs> if you don't know it's coming... And I'm not even, I'm not even gonna tell you, I normally don't care about spoilers. I, if you haven't seen Dr. T and the women, I'm not spoiling that little, little treat that you get at the end, that fucking morsel. That's it, you'll, you'll, you'll spoil Indiana Jones. Yeah, I'll spoil Indiana Jones. Dr. T and the women, absolutely not. That needs to be watched by everyone. Sacrosanct. Specifically the final five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, so, 
I'm going to put over, uh, well, I'm going to put over whatever I want. Uh, let's, let's do a double whammy. I'm going to put over Dr. T and the women, specifically the last five minutes of it. Uh, also going to put over, I, you know what, I, new Indiana Jones dog shit, but I did also recently rewatch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is uh, not a great movie by any stretch, but holds a special place in my heart. And I think if you are someone uh, who is like mid thirties or older right now, uh, this is probably a special movie for you too, because if you ask the question, what is the most fucked up thing that my parents would let me watch <laughs> because they didn't know it was fucked up, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is 100% that movie. Yeah, it's uh, up there. It is, it, it's a total kid's movie, because you got, you got the, uh, you know, the little kid in the baseball cap running around, a uh, little, little short stack, and you've got all the, like, just fucking goofball comedy when they're in the jungle it's just like oh animals it's very fun when you're a kid we love this and then you also have like horrific fucking violence and sacrifice and like heart rips and crazy shit uh there is nothing more fucked up that you could watch as uh like a, a fucking eight-year-old or whenever i saw it yeah i mean that that so, one's a christmas movie for me it was on <laughs> for, for some reason in Ireland. They just kept showing that specific movie at Christmas on like Christmas Day afternoon, like after you like so you'd wrap up Christmas dinner, all the kids would run out and like go to the TV. It was always Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom ended up being on. So yeah, I was just watching a man's heart get ripped off, <laughs> ripped out. It was just that's festivities for me. Wonderful, really warm, happy, fuzzy feelings. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't think I would be on this podcast today if I hadn't seen that movie. So uh, I, I'm sure someone right now is probably plotting to create a Nazi time travel rocket to go back in time and prevent me from seeing it. But in retrospect, uh, kind yeah, of the same sort of tone as like uh, Mortal Kombat, which uh, and your parents would rent mm -hmm. you Indiana Jones and they would like write to the congressman about Mortal Kombat. So who, who can figure yeah. it? It's the same fucking yeah. movie. Mortal Kombat, probably tamer, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, that pretty much wraps everything up. So, if you're listening to this podcast, do us a big favor. There's a link in the description. That link will take you to our Patreon page. And do you want to be a patron of Optimism Vaccine? Of course you do. And, you know, there's all kinds of perks and benefits to being a patron. First and foremost, if you donate at any level, I will send you a movie from my personal collection uh, via the United States Postal Service straight to your door, assuming you live in the continental United States. So a free fucking movie. You might as well give us a couple bucks. You'll get a little mail. When was the last time you got mail? Probably been a while. Why not get a, a movie in the mail? That'd be great for you. Uh, also, you of course get access to our special Patreon feed, which has exclusive episodes that you can only get on Patreon. New stuff as well as archival Optimism Vaccine stuff. Tons and tons and tons of podcast episodes, as well as written material that you can access from there. All the optimism vaccine you can handle, and it's just for you because you are a special boy or girl or some amalgamation thereof. And and you know what? You get it all. Now, what if you want to donate a little bit more money? What if you say, Steve, I love optimism vaccine so much. I want to give optimism vaccine five dollars a month. And we would say that is lovely. And as a thank you, if you donate five dollars or more. You're also going to get your name read out on the air. Myros, who are our $5 and above superstars right now? Uh, we have David, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. And uh, I should also note that 
Uh, probably by the time this posts, uh, we will have a brand new bonus episode up on Patreon. Uh, hasn't gone up just yet, but it is recorded. Mm. It's probably edited and we just haven't posted it. Uh, we, we are covering the, uh, Cindy Crawford, Billy Baldwin vehicle fair game. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, there's never been a, a better time to subscribe. Would you say that, Mike? Yeah, I'd say that's, that's quite true. You've got to hear about fair mm-hmm. game. And now <laughs> you got to hear about it. You got to hear about it. And in addition to get your name read, read out in the air for that $5, you also get to participate in Patreon polls. So every once in a while, we will put out a list of potential episode topics and only the $5 and above homies can vote on that. So you get a say. Now, what if you, you don't like voting and you're more of the uh, totalitarian type? That's okay, too. We've got something special for you. For $25, and whether you want to make that a one-time thing or a reoccurring thing, for $25, you can dictate an entire episode, much like the episode we did today on Czech Comedies. Uh, this was not our idea. Of course it wasn't. These were all great movies. And uh, we only apparently assign ourselves homework that makes us want to fucking gouge our eyes out. So thank you again to our patrons. This could be you. This could be your episode. It could be on anything. And it could be uh, another wonderful slate of movies that we haven't seen. Or you could finally make Adam Myros watch Hentai or The Whale. Or if they make a Hentai about The Whale, uh, that we could watch that too. So just some things to think about. Other than that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros, as always, in the inbox, hit and refresh. He's got nothing better to do right now. He doesn't have a fucking TV. All he needs is an email. Why don't you just watch something and then email him what you watched? I bet he'd like that. Just tell him about it. It'll be like he's watching TV instead of walking around by the river like some fucking healthy person who goes outside and is just like living a great life. Why Why would any of us want that? For no, ourselves? no. I certainly wouldn't want it for me. It's old real no, quick. Not at all. It's old real quick. You can also tweet at us at Optimism Vaccine if that's your preferred method. Uh, you can yell at Jack if you want to. He's he's on Twitter. He's tweeting it up. He's tweeting up a storm. Don't, don't yell, yell at, Jack at me. I'm nice. <laughs> he's a nice boy. He's a good boy. We like him. Uh, but yeah, maybe maybe tweet at us. Uh, what's your favorite Roy Chubby Brown bit? Send us your your little chub clips. We'd love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna finally break into the the UK market. Yeah, <laughs> fucking chub clips. <laughs> can I maybe maybe Myers? Can you check and see if uh, chubclips.com dot com is taken, or should we register that? Uh, we we can probably get no, on no that response. We can we can at least get uh, one of these new <laughs> new domains. You know, we can get chubclips dot biz or some shit i don't know dot yeah, ufo right dot, dot ufo for, for this classic dot ufo yeah yeah beam beam me up chub clip uh yeah i think that about wraps it up for this week so uh we'll be back next week